Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Tuesday, May 16th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian Podcast Community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. A lot of great listening over there. We've got, um, I'm sure by now it's better than 60 podcasts over there that have been carefully curated um, for belief. Um, really wide variety of topics. Okay, so I mean, it'll be really easy to find over there something that fits what you want to be listening to. Um, truthfully, I think you'll get over there and find out that you don't have enough time to listen to all the things you want to listen to. Um, so, because I, I sure did. <laughs> um, also want to continue to point you at the final link in our show notes. It is for the Vale Valley Baptist Church Give Sin Go campaign. Uh, we are striving to rapidly pay off our church mortgage so that we can commence establishment of a Christian classic education based school. Uh, we want to provide a trustworthy alternative within our community. So go ahead and click on the link. Uh, you'll find much more thorough description than I just gave you. And then we would ask three things of you. We'd ask you to pray for us. We'd ask for you to prayerfully consider giving to us and we'd ask you to pass the link along so that others can do the same. All right. Well, like I said, like I said for in yesterday's episode, we are actually going to get back into our Bible study today. And again, I'm sorry that just could not pull it together for the Monday episode to get the Bible study in, the Bible in, the Bible study in, excuse me, in John 8. Even though I had the notes together, I just could not fit that in. But we're going to do that for the evening segment for today. Um, but let's go ahead and we'll get started doing our Bible reading, which, interesting enough, some of our Bible reading is actually the verses we're going to start dealing with with our Bible study. So let's go ahead and open up with the third day morning prayer. It's called God, Creator, and Controller. Let's pray. Most high God, the universe with all its myriad creatures is thine, made by thy word, upheld by thy power, governed by thy will. But thou art also the Father of mercies, the God of all grace, the bestower of all comfort, the protector of the saved. Thou hast been mindful of us, hast visited us, preserved us, given us a goodly heritage, the holy scriptures, the joyful gospel, the Savior of souls. We come to thee in Jesus' name. Make mention of his righteousness only. Plead his obedience and sufferings, who magnified the law both in its precepts and penalty and made it honorable. May we be justified by his blood, saved by his life, joined to his spirit. Let us take up his cross and follow him. May the agency of thy grace prepare us for thy dispensations. Make us willing that thou shouldst choose our inheritance and determine what we shall retain or lose, suffer or enjoy. If blessed with prosperity, may we be free from its snares and use, not abuse, its advantages. May we patiently and cheerfully submit to those afflictions which are necessary when we are tempted to wander, hedge up our way, exciting us abhorrence of sin, wean us from the present evil world, assure us that we shall at last enter Emmanuel's land where none is ever sick and the sun will always shine. Amen. 
All right. And our morning devotion from Spurgeon's morning and evening. The text for it is from 1 Timothy 6.17, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Our Lord, Lord Jesus is ever giving and does not for a solitary instant withdraw his hand. As long as there is a vessel of grace, not yet full to the brim, the oil shall not be stayed. He is a sun ever shining. He is manna always falling around the camp. He is a rock in the desert, ever sending out streams of life from his smitten side. The rain of his grace is always dropping the river. I'm sorry, is always dropping. The river of his bounty is ever flowing, and the wellspring of his love is constantly overflowing. As the king can never die, so his grace can never fail. Daily we pluck his fruit, and daily his branches bend down to our hand with a fresh store of mercy. There are seven feast days in his week, and as many as are the days, so many are the banquets in this in his year. Who has ever returned from his door unblessed? Who has ever risen from his table unsatisfied? Or from his bosom unimparadised? His mercies are new every morning and fresh every evening. Who can know the number of his benefits or recount the list of his bounties? Every sand which drops from the glass of time is but the tardy follower of a myriad of mercies. The wings of our hours are covered with the silver of his kindness and with the yellow gold of his affection. The river of time bears from the mountains of eternity the golden sands of his favor. The countless stars are but as the standard bearers of a more innumerable host of blessings. Who can count the dust of the benefits which he bestows on Jacob, or tell the number of the fourth part of his mercies towards Israel? How shall my soul extol him who daily loadeth us with benefits, and who crowneth us with loving kindness? Oh, that my praise could be as ceaseless as his bounty! O oh, miserable tongue, how canst thou be silent? Wake up, I pray thee, lest I call thee no more my glory but my shame. Awake, psaltery and harp, I myself will awake right early. All right, and now our reading for the day. Uh, we're going to be doing 1 Samuel 18 from verse 5 to the end of the chapter, first, and 1 Samuel 19 as well. Um, then John 8, verse 31 through 59, which part of that, as I said, is what our Bible studies on today. Um, Psalm 112, and then Proverbs 15, verses 12 through 14. So 1 Samuel 18, verse 5. Hear the word of the Lord. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and prospered, and Saul set him over the men of war. And it was pleasing in the eyes of all the people, and also in the eyes of Saul's servants. And it happened as they were coming, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul, with tambourines, with gladness, and with musical instruments. And the women sang as they were merry, and said, Saul has struck his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Then Saul became, Saul became very angry, for this saying was displeasing in his eyes. And he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, but to me they have ascribed thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. Now it happened on the next day that an evil spirit from God came mightily upon Saul, and he raved in the midst of his house. Now David was playing the harp with his hand as usual, and a spear was in Saul's hand. Then Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped from his presence twice. And Saul was afraid of David, for Yahweh was with him, but had turned away from Saul. Therefore Saul turned him away from his presence, and appointed him as his commander of one thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. 
and David was prospering in all his ways, and Yahweh was with him. Then Saul saw that he was prospering greatly, so he dreaded him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. Then Saul said to David, Here is my older daughter Merab. I will give her to you as a wife. Only be a man of valor for me, and fight Yahweh's battles. For Saul thought, My hand shall not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. But David said to Saul, Who am I, and what is my life, or my father's family, in Israel, that I should be the king's son-in-law? So it happened at the time when Merab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, that she was given Adriel, the given to Adriel the Meholathite as a wife. And Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David. So they told Saul, and the thing was right in his eyes. And Saul said, I will give her to him, that she may become a snare to him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David, For a second time you may be my son-in-law today. Then Saul commanded his servants, Speak to David secretly, saying, Behold, the king delights in you, and all his servants love you, so now become the king's son-in-law. So Saul's servants spoke these words in David's hearing. But David said, Is it trivial in your eyes to become the king's son-in-law, since I am a poor man and lightly esteemed? And the servants of Saul told to him according to these words which David spoke. Saul then said, Thus you shall say to David, The king does not desire any dowry except one hundred foreskins of the Philistines to take vengeance on the king's enemies. Now Saul planned to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. Then his servants told David these words, and it was right in the eyes of David to become the king's son-in-law. So before the days had expired, David rose up and went, he and his men, and struck down two hundred men among the Philistines. Then David brought their foreskins, and they gave them in a full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. So Saul gave him Michael his daughter as a wife. Then Saul saw and knew that Yahweh was with David, and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him. So Saul was even more afraid of David, so Saul was David's enemy continually. Then the commanders of the Philistines went out to battle, and it happened as often as they went out that David behaved himself more insightfully than all the servants of Saul. So his name was highly esteemed. For Samuel 19 Then Saul spoke with Jonathan his son and all his servants to put David to death. But Jonathan, Saul's son, greatly delighted in David. So Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, is seeking to put you to death. So now please be careful in the morning and stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak with my father about you. What I perceive I will tell you. Then Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul his father and said to him, Do not let the king sin against his servant David, since he has not sinned against you, and since his works have been very good for you. For he took his life in his hand and struck the Philistine. And Yahweh brought about a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and were glad. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by putting David to death without a cause? And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. And Saul swore, As Yahweh lives, he shall not be put to death. Then Jonathan called David, and Jonathan told him all these words. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as formerly. Then there was war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines, and struck them with a great slaughter, so that they fled before him. Now there was an evil spirit from Yahweh on Saul, as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand. And David was playing the harp with his hand. And Saul tried to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he slipped away out of Saul's presence, so that he struck the spear into the wall. And David fled and escaped that night.
Then Saul sent messengers to David's house to keep watch over him in order to put him to death in the morning. But Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, If you do not make an escape for your life tonight, tomorrow you will be put to death. So Michael let David down through a window, and he went out and fled and escaped. Then Michael took the household idol and laid it on the bed and put a quilt of goat's hair at its head and covered it with clothes. Then Saul sent messengers to take David, but she said, He is sick. So Saul sent messengers to see David, saying, Bring him up to me on his bed, that I may put him to death. The messengers came, and behold, the household idol was on the bed with the quilt of goat's hair at its head. So Saul said to Michael, Why have you deceived me like this, and let my enemy go, so that he has escaped? And Michael said to, Paul, said to Saul, He said to me, Let me go, why should I put you to death? Now David fled and escaped, and came to Samuel at Ramah, and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and stayed in Naoth. And it was told to Saul, saying, Behold, David is at Naoth in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. But they saw the company of the prophets prophesying, with Samuel standing and presiding over them. And the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. This was told to Saul, and he sent other messengers, and they also prophesied. So Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they also prophesied. Then he himself went to Ramah and came as far as the large well that is in Seku. And he asked and said, Where are Samuel and David? And someone said, Behold, they are at Naoth in Ramah. So he went there to Naoth in Ramah, and the Spirit of God came upon him, also so that he went along prophesying continually until he came to Naoth in Ramah. He also stripped off his clothes, and he too prophesied before Samuel, and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Therefore they say, is Saul also among the prophets? All right. John 8, verse 31 through 59. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's seed and have never yet been a slave to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's seed, yet you are seeking to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you are Abraham's children, you would do the deeds of Abraham. But now you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father, they said to him. We were not born, I'm sorry, you are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come of myself, but he sent me. Why do, you, why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? 
If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them, because you are not of God. The Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death, ever. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, and the prophets also. And you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste of death, ever. Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. And you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. All right, Psalm 112. Praise Yah, how blessed is the man who fears Yahweh, who greatly delights in his commandments. His seed will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness stands forever. Light arises in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious and compassionate and righteous. It is well with the man who is gracious and lends, who sustains his work with justice, for he will never be shaken. The righteous will be remembered forever. He will not fear an evil report. His heart is set trusting in Yahweh. His heart is upheld. He will not fear. Until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He is given freely to the needy. His righteousness stands forever. His horn will be raised in glory. The wicked will see it and be vexed. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked will perish. All right. And Proverbs 15, verses 12 through 14. A scoffer does not love one who reproves him. He will not go to the wise. A glad heart makes a face look good, but when the heart is pained, the spirit is broken. The heart of the one who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feeds on folly. All right, well, that is our uh, reading for this morning. Um, I hope you have a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God. Um, and I hope, I hope you come back for the evening segment. Um, let's go ahead and close out with prayer. The one we're going to use from Valley of Vision is called Assurance. Let's pray. Almighty God, I am loved with everlasting love, clothed in eternal righteousness, my peace flowing like a river, my comforts many and large, my joy and triumph unutterable, my soul lively with the knowledge of salvation, my sense of justification unclouded. I have scarce anything to pray for. Jesus smiles upon my soul as a ray of heaven, and my supplications are swallowed up in praise. How sweet is the glorious doctrine of election! when based upon thy word, and wrought inwardly within the soul. I bless thee that thou wilt keep the sinner, thou wilt keep the sinner thou hast loved, and hast engaged that he will not forsake thee, else I would never get to heaven. I wrong the work of grace in my heart, if I deny my new nature and my eternal life. 
If Jesus were not my righteous and re- my righteousness and redemption, I would sink into nethermost hell by my misdoings, shortcomings, unbelief, unlove. If Jesus were not by the power of the Spirit my sanctification, there is no sin I should not commit. Oh, when shall I have his mind? When shall I be conformed to his image? All the good things of life are less than nothing when compared with his love. And with one glimpse of thy electing favor, all the treasures of a million worlds could not make me richer, happier, more contented, for his unsearchable riches are mine. One moment of communion with him, one view of his grace, is ineffable, inestimable. But, O God, I could not long after thy presence, if I did not know the sweetness of it. And such I could not know, except by thy Spirit, in my heart, nor love thee at all, unless thou didst elect me, call me, adopt me, save me. I bless thee for the covenant of grace. Amen. All right, well, again, I hope you have a good day, and I hope to see you this evening. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Tuesday, May 16th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. All right, we're going to be getting into our Bible study uh, this evening, um, getting back into it from last week. Um, so what I'm going to, what we'll do, we'll go ahead and open up with prayer and then we'll get back into it prayer we're going to open up with this evening is called spiritus sanctus let's pray O holy spirit as the sun is full of light the ocean full of water heaven full of glory so may my heart be full of thee vain are all divine purposes of love and the redemption wrought by jesus except thou work within regenerating by thy power giving me eyes to see jesus showing me the realities of the unseen world give me thyself without measure as an unimpaired fountain and as inexhaustible riches. I bewail my coldness, poverty, emptiness, imperfect vision, languid service, prayerless prayers, praiseless praises. Suffer me not to grieve or resist thee. Come as power to expel every rebel lust, to reign supreme and keep me thine. Come as teacher leading me into all truth, fulfilling me with all understanding. I'm sorry, filling me with all understanding. Come as love that I may adore the Father and love him as my all. Come as joy to dwell in me, move in me, animate me. Come as light, illuminating the scripture, molding me in its laws. Come as sanctifier, body, soul, and spirit, holy thine. Come as helper with strength to bless and keep directing my every step. Come as beautifier, bringing order out of confusion, loveliness out of chaos, Magnify to me thy glory by being magnified in me, and make me redolent of thy fragrance. Amen. All right, and the evening segment, or the evening devotion from um, Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for May 16th. The text is from Second Kings 3, 16 and 17. And he said, Thus saith the Lord, Make this valley full of ditches, for thus saith the Lord, Ye shall not see wind, neither shall, shall ye see rain, yet that valley shall be filled with water, that ye may drink, both ye and your cattle and your beasts. The armies of the three kings were famishing for want of water. God was about to send it, and in these words the prophet announced the coming blessing. 
Here was a case of human helplessness. Not a drop of water could all the valiant men procure for this, from the skies or find in the wells of earth. Thus often the people of the Lord are at their wit's end. They see the vanity of the creature and learn experimentally where their help is to be found. Still, the people were to make a believing preparation for the divine blessing. They were to dig trenches in which the precious liquid would be held. The church must be her varied agency. Much, I'm sorry. The church must, by her varied agencies, efforts, and prayers, make herself ready to be blessed. She must make the pools, and the Lord will fill them. This must be done in faith, in the full assurance that the blessing is about to descend. By and by, there was a singular bestowal of the needed boon. Not as, a, not as in Elijah's case did the shower pour from the clouds, but in a silent and mysterious manner, the pools were filled. The Lord has his own sovereign modes of action. He is not tied to manner and time as we are, but doeth as he pleases among the sons of men. It is ours, thankfully, to receive from him and not to dictate to him. We must also notice the remarkable abundance of the supply. There was enough for the need of all, and so it is in the gospel blessing. All the wants of the congregation and of the entire church shall be met by the divine power in answer to prayer, and above all this, victory shall be speedily given to the armies of the Lord. What am I doing for Jesus? What trenches am I digging? O Lord, make me ready to receive the blessing which thou art so willing to bestow. All right, well, like I said, we're going to be continuing on in our Bible study, and hold on a minute, I need some water. All right, so we've been in John chapter 8. We just finished uh, the section that, um, oh, what was it called? <sighs> oh, how to die in your sin. Sorry. We just finished the section about how to die in your sin. That ended in verse 30. And so what we're going to be, the verse we're going to be covering this week, God willing, will be verses 31 through 36. So John 8, verses 31 through 36. I'm going to go ahead and read the six of them, and then we'll get into this. So John 8, 31, hear the word of the Lord. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, then you are truly, truly my disciples, and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's seed and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. So, you know, we've been, so we've been working our way through. We had, we had dealt with here early in uh, John chapter eight, uh, Jesus's proclamations that he was the light of the world. And then, like, like I said, we progressed into the section, verses 22 through 30, of how to die in your sin. And we saw the different ways that you could die in your sin. And actually, all of them applied to the Pharisees and the chief priests. You could be self-righteous, you could be worldly, you could be unbelieving, or you could be willfully ignorant. Or the fact is, you could be all of those that kind of pile in together from the first to the last. Um, and that was a way to die in your sin. Um, and, and it is, and, and we talked about how that applies even today. Um, and so many out there that are, that are choosing to be any of these four or all of them. Um, so much people running around, especially in the church, believe, being self-righteous, um, yet at the same time being worldly, um, they, they are so caught up in the things of this world. Um, and it can be a number of different things, um, but getting caught up in the things of this world, 
um, that that they they no longer are set apart. They're no longer the ecclesia, if they ever were, and in some cases they weren't, um, because I don't believe I, you cannot lose your salvation. So, like um, John says in his epistles, you know, if they if they went out from us, they were not of us. Well, so what we're moving into the section we're moving into here over this next week is a section called that that John MacArthur calls the truth will make you free. Now, of course, that's that's right out of verse 32. And you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. But basically, he broke it down. And, and of course, like I've said, I've, I use his headings and stuff and break down the way he does because it makes it easier for me. I, I'm sorry, just trying to fit the time in for this. And my wife and I are getting ready to start uh, doing a Sunday school class for our church. And we're looking at here by by the fall heading into the prisons for ministry. So and, and the fact I'm preaching every once in a while. So there's an awful lot going on, which I'm totally blessed. I'm not I'm not saying that to complain. I, I am so blessed and so grateful every moment of every day that, that God has put so much for me to do for the kingdom but before me. I It's it's amazing. But needless to say, it's a lot. So I use that. And, and I don't say that an excuse. It's just that that does it. So anyways, John MacArthur calls this sex, section, uh, John 8, verse 31 through 36, the truth will make you free. And he breaks that down into um, sections um, that you can deal with with that freedom. And the first is the pathway to freedom, um, which are the first two verses, verses 31 and 32. But what we're going to deal with, because it's a little more involved, we're going to break down the pathway to freedom into three different sections over today, tomorrow, and Thursday. Um, so the first part we're going to deal with is about believing in Christ. So we're only dealing with the first half of verse 31 today. But again, so this overall section is the truth will make you free. So the thing is, I think we need to talk a little bit about what truth really is. Um, you know, we've gone through and, and, and you know, uh, in his commentary, John MacArthur talks about this and, and, and he's right on. I mean, these are these are thoughts I've had for a while. Um, that have that have just truly driven me nuts. Um, I've I've said before that I truly believe that that what was called the Enlightenment actually led to the stupidification of the human race. It didn't make us more enlightened. It made us stupid because we were absolutely so sure that we could reason out anything, even those things that were directly in conflict with fact that we could use our human reason reasoning and through reasoning we could make things so even if they there was no possible way they could be so um and that was the enlightenment that was that was the 18th and 19th century but what we've ended up with here in the 20th and into the 21st century is postmodernism and postmodernism even goes even further dealing with truth because in in the enlightenment basically it was like we, we, through our reasoning, we can create truth, which is wrong. And in postmodernism, it's it, it postmodernism threw that out the door and goes, you know, truth is completely relative. There is no such absolute truth. It is what you want it to be, which of course is, excuse my language, complete crap as well. Um, both of those are a dumpster fire pull full of flaming poo. Um, they, they, they just are, I mean, neither of them, neither of them 
are 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 fact neither of them are true and neither neither of them have any argumentation that would back them up okay they are they are complete waste um and they 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 make very very clear uh, both are extremely man-centered they are very very clear that man is supreme not god that's what both of those are telling you well if man is supreme not god meaning man is supreme not christ then why would you believe in Christ? Thus, where Jesus is talking here, um, and you will know the truth and the truth will make you f free. Well, so it's, what truth is he talking about? Well, it's the truth of God. God's truth is absolute. God's truth is absolute. It is absolute. It is fact. It is truth. There is no, there is no subjectiveness to it. There, there is no personal feelings about it. It is true. So, like I said, what we're going to deal with today is believing in Christ, okay? So, it's the truth will make you free, and this section here is the pathway to freedom, and the first step on that pathway to freedom is believing in Christ. So, we're just going to deal with verse 31a, which seems weird because Jesus hadn't even said anything yet, but let, let's deal with this. So, um, John 8, verse 31a, first half of it. So, Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, we're going to stop right there, which feels really weird, except, except that's really what we need to do before we move to the next section. So that's what we're going to deal with this evening. So in MacArthur's commentary, um, he quotes from Leon Morris, from Leon Morris's commentary about this. And I, and I really like the quote. So I'm going to read it to you. This section of discourse is addressed to those who believe and yet do not believe. Clearly, they were inclined to think that what Jesus said was true but they were not prepared to yield him the far-reaching allegiance that real trust in him implies. This is a most dangerous spiritual state. To recognize that truth is in Jesus and to do nothing about it means that in effect one ranges oneself with the enemies of the Lord. Basically he's saying that if you recognize that the truth is in Jesus and you do nothing about it, it means you put yourself in opposition to Jesus. It means you put yourself among the enemies of the Lord. So what, what he's talking about there, and, and it's, you got to understand this, it is very, very clear because it's easy to read verse 31a and miss what it's really telling you. So Jesus was saying to these Jews who had believed him, okay, these Jews being referenced in verse 31a are the same ones that are mentioned in verse 30. As he was speaking these things, many believed in him. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him. So basically it's saying, hey, a lot of those people that, that heard him speaking these things, Many of them believed in him. And so he said to them, that would be basically the same thing. But what we need to understand a few things about this belief that is being spoken of. Okay. Cause it's, we've got to understand where it is and I'll tell, and I'm going to tell you why it is what it is. And, and, and I have to confess until I started doing this Bible study I, and, and I'm talking all the way through the gospel of John until I started preaching through the gospel of John. I always thought these were true believers. Well, I, I'm, I'm going to give you a spoiler. They're not, at least not yet. So this belief that's being spoken of here. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, this is the initial belief. This is, as John MacArthur indicates, the initial point of contact with Christ. So this is not saving faith. This is only the, fi the first step towards it. I mean, 
All you got to do is look a few verses down, verse 34. Jesus makes clear that these Jews who believed were still slaves of sin, verse 34. And, and again, so before I read the verse, I've said to you before, I actually I said it last week, um, and I've said it many times before that, Jesus doesn't say these things in a vacuum. He's saying them based on his knowledge of these people or things they've said or done or things they've manifested. And he does them in the particular order he does them in as well. There, there's a purpose. It's not random. So when he says down here in verse 34, Jesus answered them, truly, true, because they said, "How are, we're not enslaved to anybody. He goes, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. He's not making a generic statement here. He, he might as well be sticking his his index finger in their chest and going, truly, truly, I say to you that you who commit sin are a slave of sin. That's basically what he's doing. He's making clear to them that they are still a slave of sin. If they're a slave of sin, they're not a slave of Christ. They're not saved. Okay. Making that very, very clear here. These are not true believers yet. I'm not saying they can't be. I'm saying they aren't yet. Now you got to think about it. So, so again, and, and we also got to think about it. The Jews he's speaking of in a lot of cases, when he's speaking of Jews, when John says Jews, he's speaking of the Jewish leadership. Now, in this case, he may be including, because he was saying, as he was speaking in verse 30, as he was speaking these things, many believed in him. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, when John says Jews, and in most cases, as far as I know, as from the research I've done, he's speaking to the Jewish leadership. He's speaking of the Jewish leadership, the religious leadership. So these would be the, basically, some of them would be among the same people that I spoke to you about from back in John 2, John 2, verse 23 through 25. I'm going to read it to you. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name. When they saw his signs, which he was doing, so believed in his name. Again, that's that first step. It's a different way of wording it, but that's still that initial point of contact that, that MacArthur speaks of. But the, so during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw his signs, which he was doing. So they saw him doing these miracles. So they believed this, this has got to be someone of God. But verse 24, but Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them for he knew all men. And because he had no need that anyone bear witness concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. Again, these are not true believers. These are not true believers. This is this is what he's speaking of. Okay? So these, these people haven't progressed past that. Okay? They've got an initial bit of knowledge that this has got to be somebody coming from God because he is doing miracles that nobody else has done. And he's preaching, in this case, as he was speaking these things, many believed in him. You know, he was saying those things at the end of the last section about God, you know, um, starting from verse um, 28. So Jesus said, when you lift up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and I do nothing from myself, but I speak these things as the father, as God taught me and he who sent me is with me. He will not let let me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Basically, he's saying to them, he's always doing the things that are pleasing to God, that bring honor to God. And as he was saying those things, as he was speaking these things, many believed in him. So so they, the, between the miracles and the preaching, they're believing 
that this guy's got to be a prophet. They may even be starting to have that initial sense of this may be the Messiah. You know, this intellectual click, this may be the Messiah. But we've got to remember that's not enough. Even in chapter six, we saw all of those people that were ready to crown Jesus king after he had fed the 5,000. Like we said, it was actually more like 15, 20,000 with basically the equivalent of five Twinkies and two sardines. Um, and they wanted to crown him king. But by the time you hit the end of the chapter, so, so they're realizing this is the king. But like I said, then their motivations were wrong. It was because they wanted, they liked the idea of a free meal all the time. Hey, this makes, this will make life better. Yeah. Let's crown him king. But by the end of chapter six, they're not following him anymore. Let me go back and find that. I didn't think to grab that. Um, these were the hard statements. There we go. Um, here we go. Uh, verse 30, uh, I'll start in verse 34. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, for this reason, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. Verse 66. As a result of this, many of his disciples went away and were not walking with him anymore. These were people that had that had shown belief and in some cases had intellectually professed belief, but they're not following him anymore. We even see this even further down in John chapter 12, verse 42. Nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in him. This is the, the rulers of the Jews, the religious leaders. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. So they were so afraid, even if they believed, like this case, they believed in him, that they, they believed he was the Christ, the Messiah, but they wouldn't commit. They would not take the following steps because they were afraid of the of man they were afraid of the pharisees and getting kicked out of the synagogue oh no woe is me that's where they were and so what we what we have to get at what we've got to know is that true saving faith has three parts and they and and i I think it's the Latin words that that MacArthur has in his and I've I've heard that and I've heard lectures on it and I wasn't going to pull all that stuff out okay but I'm going to use the English words that basically are the same thing so you have three parts you have knowledge you have assent and you have trust what these people have manifested is a knowledge that he is the Christ the son of God it's that first point of contact but they have not assented, nor have they trusted in Jesus Christ. I mean, look at it. Uh, like I said, chapter six, the end of chapter six, as hard as those sayings were, they would not assent and trust in him. Uh, John twelve forty two that the, the leaders believed in him, but they would not assent to his lordship and trust, put their full trust in him that he would lead them, that, that he would care for them, that he was their, that, that, that he was their Lord and savior. And that's the thing. And that's why it's said that way. There are way too many people in this world today that are all for Jesus as a savior, but he's not their Lord. 
They will not assent to be slaves to Jesus Christ. They may have the knowledge, but they won't assent to be slaves of Jesus Christ. So we're not willing to follow him anymore. As we see at the end of, you know, at the end of chapter six. So these folks spoken of in verse 31a did not have all three of these, did not have the knowledge, did not assent to be slaves of Christ, and thus did not trust in him for their all. Did not. And we can't be that way. I, Paul is very clear um, in his epistle to the Corinthians, second, his second one, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test? Paul is saying, you've got to have all three of these. It's got to be, it's all or nothing. The first by itself doesn't do it. This, this isn't a um, multiple choice where all answers are right. This is a, you have to have all of them. And if you won't hear John in his, in his um, first epistle basically could be directly speaking about those in chapter six at the end where he says, and I mentioned it before, they went out from us, but they were not really of us for if they were of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be manifested that they all are not of us. Basically what he's saying there is that if, if folks walk away, if folks, no matter how much they act like they're saved, they, they act on all, um, uh, one of the, the parable of the sower talk about the seed sown on the rocky soil that will, you know, sun and rain and, and will spring up nice and bright and beautiful, but zero roots. Basically they haven't assented and trusted zero roots. And the minute any kind of, any kind of, uh, you know, drought comes along, anything like that, the plant dies. Well, that's that's the Christian there that seems to have this initial response. John 12, 24, nevertheless, many, even of the rulers believed in him, but no root. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. Basically, what he's saying is that, that those that maybe they flash like that, but then they wander away. At the end of chapter six, like I said, they wander away. They won't follow anymore. They weren't of the called anyways. They didn't lose their faith. They never had saving faith. They never took, went beyond that initial point of contact with Christ. We've got to ensure, like Paul was speaking of in second Corinthians 13, five, we have to test ourselves. We have to ensure that we have gone beyond that initial point of contact, that we truly are fully that our faith is true, truly a full saving faith in Christ. And we are to be doing that constantly. I, th I think it's Peter that says, we've got to work out our faith in fear and trembling. What he's talking about there is our sanctification, but, but it is. We, um, we, we've got to be working that out constantly. We've got to be constantly grinding out and testing that and ensuring that we have a true saving faith. So that we aren't these who had believed him, but then he goes on to speak. Everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. I don't want to be the slave of sin. I've been the slave of sin way too long in my life. I want to be a slave of Christ. I absolutely want to be a slave of Christ. And I would pray that you do too.
All right, let's go ahead and close out with the Thursday evening prayer. It's called Before Sleep. Let's pray. God of all sovereignty, thy greatness is unsearchable, thy name most excellent, thy glory above the heavens. Ten thousand minister to thee, ten thousand times ten thousand stand before thee. In thy awful presence we are less than nothing. We do not approach thee because we deserve thy notice, for we are sinners. Our necessities compel us. Thy promises encourage us. Our broken hearts incite us. The mediator draws us. Thy acceptance of others moves us. Look thou upon us and be merciful unto us. Convince us of the penalty and pollution of sin. Give us faith to believe and believing to have life in Jesus. May we enter into his sufferings. Let us see thy hand in the instruments of our grief, rejoicing that they are from thy overruling providence. Let not our weeping hinder sowing, nor sorrow duty. While living in a world of change, let us seek the abiding city. Be with us to our journey's end, that we may glorify thee in death as in life. We bless thee for preservation, supplies, mercies, and to thee, keeper of souls, we commit all we are and have. May no evil befall us, no sickness come nigh us, no horror disturb us. May our conscience be clear, our heart pure, our sleep sweet, and with the innumerable company who neither slumber nor rest, we join in ascribing blessing, honor, glory, and power to the Lamb upon the throne forever and ever. Amen. All right, well, I hope you have a wonderful night, and I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Have a good one. God bless. Thank you.